everyone out there in podcast land. You're listening to Two Quiet Girls Talking, and I'm Chris, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Jen. Hey. (laughs) So Two Quiet Girls Talking um, is a show that Jen and I are starting that uh, we started because we want to discuss a variety of topics and issues, um, including current events, politics, economics, you know, energy, policy, personal development, social justice. And we want to approach these issues from a libertarian objectivist perspective, which I think as far as women in the media is concerned, uh, is sorely lacking. Um, What do you think, Jen? Yeah, absolutely. Um, There's not many women. And you pointed out that some of them – kind of don't seem to take themselves very seriously. Um, So it's going to be fun. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so we definitely want to bring that voice, you know, to the liberty movement. We want to bring that voice to uh, the media, even if it's, you know, through a vehicle like a podcast. Um, And, you know, I don't want to talk only to women, um, I want to talk to women and men that um, just are lacking in that voice. You know, maybe they're they're not out of their shells in the ways that they want to be out of their shells. And so this show is kind of our quote-unquote safe space <laughs> where we can come and talk about controversial issues and talk about them in a more pragmatic, logical, rational way. And then, you know, we can color afterwards if we want to. Yeah, yeah. I've got an adult or not. Book. And some markers. Oh, you don't want to? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but yeah, we are so grateful and happy to anyone that's listening to our show today. And so just to give you an idea of what to expect out of the show, um, you know, our purpose, I think, first and foremost, is to have some fun and just to talk about stuff that we're interested in. Um, and today, since we're starting a new year, um, Happy New Year, we want to start with some personal development and a topic that, Jen, you and I have been talking a lot about recently, which is goal setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, in case you didn't know, in a couple of weeks, Donald effing Trump is going to be our 45th president. <laughs> Crazy as that sounds. <laughs> So what? we're gonna. Kidding. No, I'm serious. He hasn't oh been gosh. killed yet. Oh. <laughs> he uh. has not been killed yet. We haven't had an uprising with the electoral college. Um, Russia Besides. seems okay with him being president. Um, the fake news. I don't know. I guess they're on his side yeah. as well. So that's obviously Europe why he won. Come to save us all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we're going to analyze a little bit of of his um, election, you know, some of the perspectives uh, from the liberty movement on that, and what we think he's going to do with his presidency. Is he really going to drain the swamp, or is he still playing politics and picking uh, the same old, you know, Washington uh, elites, Wall Street insiders um, that have been in Washington, D.C. for way too long? Mm-hmm. So, Jen, do you have anything to add to that? 
So I just wanted to ask you, um, when I was researching all these pics, I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't click on these links so much, but did you notice, like, at the very top of every Google search, it was <laughs> Democrats uh, trying to stop the appointments that he's proposed? Did you notice that? Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. Every single really, one of them. really, really hard. <laughs> I'm sorry? It seems like every single one of them. Every single one of them, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, and yeah. So talking about goal setting, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's a topic I'm personally interested in. Um, we're going to be drawing a lot from uh, Gretchen Rubin's Four Tendencies. Um, she has a fun quiz. Uh, we're going to talk about our results, which <laughs> were the same. <laughs> and I'm going to show you why it's a miracle that we're even getting a podcast going. Yeah. And yeah, it should be a fun episode. Do you want to? Jump in? Yeah. Yeah. So oh, we'll wait. start off with goal setting. Okay. Go ahead. So right before Christmas, um, Jenny told me about the Gretchen Rubin quiz, The Four Tendencies, and you revealed to me that you were a rebel. And I told you, I bet I'm a rebel too, and I took the quiz, and guess what I am? Yeah. Um, so explain a little bit <laughs> as far as what that means about our personalities and mm-hmm. how we set and achieve goals. Okay, so um, the four tendencies is this way that she classifies um, people as far as how they tend to respond to expectations. Um, and so they, they, she kind of divides expectations into outer expectations um, for example, a deadline at work, um, and inner expectations like personal goals, um, New Year's resolutions, things like that. So your response to expectations uh, is how you're classified, and there's four of them. So upholders, um, they do well in meeting expectations, both outer and inner. Uh, questioners, um, they like to analyze all expectations. They'll only meet an expectation if they have decided that it makes sense for them. <clears throat> uh, obligers, um, they find it easy to meet outer expectations um, when someone else is depending on them, but they, they have a hard time meeting expectations that they set for themselves. And then rebels, which I think she says is the, the least common type, <laughs> Uh, resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. <laughs> and that's so funny because, you know, I would think that I would be an obliger because mm-hmm. um, when, when I have an accountability partner, I tend to do really well because mm-hmm. I know that someone else is counting on me and um, I don't want to let them down. Mm-hmm. But when I heard that a rebel really, you know, they kind of um, – they kind of talk themselves out of everything that they've decided to do. And I know that that's a huge issue with me in terms of, um, you know, I'll say I'm going to lose the weight. I'm going to work out every day. And every day I'm about to go out to achieve that goal. I talk mm-hmm. myself out of it. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like I'd rather – lay in bed. I'd rather read a book. You know, I have to clean. Um, Something's Mm -hmm. come up and I can't achieve that goal. So, and I've I've done it 
Yeah, and I've done it even when I have accountability partners where I'll oftentimes make excuses and say, oh, my gosh, I can't, I can't do it today. I'm just too busy. Um, yeah. So what, if you are a rebel, um, what is the best way to overcome that tendency to kind of self-destruct when it comes to setting goals? So she talks about the strategy of identity being very successful for rebels. And <clears throat> what that is, what she kind of means by that is that you incorporate a goal or, uh, you know, whatever it is that you want to accomplish, you incorporate it into the way you see yourself as a person. So rebels really like to see themselves as unique. Um, they like to see themselves sometimes as special or as going against the grain. If you can, if you can alter your mindset to where you are, um, you're incorporating that goal, that thing that you want to accomplish, that habit you want to build, um, if you can incorporate that into your identity, you're going to be more successful because it's who you are. It's how you set yourself apart. For example, like um, being, living a healthy lifestyle, you know, um, that can become very appealing for rebels if, let's see, there's an example on her website, a woman, and I can't remember, it might even be in the comments of an article, but a woman talks about how um, she is surprised that she has managed to meet her goal of becoming fit because it's such a common goal. And then she realizes that, oh, actually, I'm doing it in a unique way. I'm a woman and I'm lifting weight. You know, mm, I'm a woman okay. and I'm eating steak, you know, that kind of thing. So if we, if we want to accomplish um, a healthy goal, then what we need to do is kind of see ourselves as standing apart from the crowd and, you know, make that part of our identity. Like we care about our health in a way that a lot of people don't. And that's going to help us be more successful. Got it. And I know like you and I, for example, our diets, um, when we're most successful, I think, on our diets is when we are kind of going against um, – conventional wisdom when it comes to what's healthy mm-hmm. to eat. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So we've both followed the paleo diet before, um, you know, high protein, high fat, uh, low carb or no carb at all, no sugar, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, you know, eating a lot of fat uh, in this culture where everything is low fat or no fat. Um, and that right. seems to, to really work for us and, and our bodies, but also I think our, maybe our rebel tendency of wanting to be different and going against the grain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I think that's yeah. part of it. That's how we can be successful with it. <laughs> Very cool. And I think another big part of setting goals that you can achieve, you know, not just trying to figure out, you know, how does my brain work when it comes mm-hmm. to thinking about accomplishing things, uh, but also making sure that your goals have measurables and metrics attached to them. Um, and then also finding time for them and finding time that, that's convenient. Um, if you're, you know, having to stick your workout time in between, you know, end of work and dinner when you're tired and ready to get home and eat, you may not be as successful at it. Um, and you mentioned this morning that you've been trying to work out after your husband gets home from work, but you just can't fix that because you're, you're wanting to cook and finish up your day at that time. Right. Yeah. Um, it's a, that's kind of a, a, a struggle. Um, and I think a lot of people probably hit it. We say things like, well, we're going to do, 
we're going to exercise, you know, and then we try to fit it into our day where we really can't, you know, and that's another, actually, that's another strategy she talks about is the strategy of convenience. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I can't remember if she talks about that in regards to how rebels do with it specifically, but it's one of the strategies in her books, um, in her book, Better Than Before. And it just talks about if you make a habit convenient, you're so much more likely to do it. And I guess that should be obvious, but, you know, sometimes it's not. <laughs> yeah, it does sound like something that would be obvious, but we don't always think about it. We, we just try yeah. to find a time that we think will work, and we don't think about, you know, am I really in the mindset or the um, – do I really have the attitude at that time of day to accomplish this goal? Um, So we set some resolutions for this year with, with those type of, um, you know, boundaries and metrics in mind. Um, And I am not usually a resolution person. I think in the past, I've always thought that New Year's resolutions are stupid and pointless because no one ever keeps them. You know, there is a whole entire joke around, creating a new year resolution and by the middle of January, you've already uh, failed at, you know, accomplishing your resolution. And you shared with me a really great article that um, Alex Epstein wrote. And Alex Epstein is a a very intelligent um, guy. He uh, really talks a lot about energy policy. And so I was kind of surprised to see this article from him about new year's resolutions. Um, but he made a really good point in the article that um, it's, it's very easy to live life passively. Um, what he says is, um, and I'm quoting directly from the article here, how many people do you know who are in the career they fell into out of school, even if it's not very satisfying, or who have children at a certain age because that's what's expected, even if it's not what they really want, or who spend hours, endless hours of free time in front of the TV, since that's the most readily available form of relaxation, or who follow a life of routine that they never really choose and don't truly enjoy, but which has the force of habit. And he says, too often the goal-directedness embodied by New Year's resolutions is the exception in lives ruled by passively accepted forces, unexamined routine, short-range desires, or alleged duties. And it is the passive approach to happiness that makes so many resolutions peter out or lost in the shuffle of life or abandoned due to lost motivation. Uh, More broadly than its impact on New Year's resolutions, the passive approach to happiness is the reason that so many go through life without ever getting or even knowing what they really want. And that's the end of the quote. Um, And that really spoke to me because it is very easy to live a passive life or to set goals, passive goals, like, oh, I want to lose weight, without really assigning any uh, metrics or measurables to those goals or thinking about how those goals are going to make your life better. Um, So, Jen, tell me what are the resolutions that you've come up with for 2017 and what are some of the ways that uh, you plan to accomplish those goals? Okay. Well, um, as you know, I'm not really happy with my health at the moment. I want to be stronger and more fit like I think a whole lot of people do. Um, 
I don't have a weight goal in mind, but I have a couple of habits um, that I want to form that will mm-hmm. get me to an appropriate or an ideal weight. Um, and the first resolution that I had um, is to cook at home, um, to stop eating at restaurants without having a good reason to be doing so. And so what I would consider a good reason to eat at a restaurant would be like a special occasion um, or, or for social purposes, like to have time with family and friends. And unfortunately, um, my husband and I have fallen into a habit. Well, it's mostly me because I'm the cook, which I don't mind. <laughs> um, but when evening rolls around and I haven't planned for dinner or I just don't feel like cooking what I've got in the house, um, we'll go out and get something to eat. And it's, uh, it doesn't make me feel very good. Well, Jenny, obviously – this is the problem with the patriarchy. This is not <laughs> your problem. I know. It's not my fault. I'm so impressed with a woman. Oh, but anyway. Um, anyway, yeah. So that's my, um, that's my number one resolution. And for a little background on that, uh, I'm, I'm a good cook. I cook from scratch. I cook, um, I cook from fresh ingredients. Mostly paleo, although this year I decided to bring uh, beans and some gluten-free grains back, um, like quinoa and buckwheat. I guess those are technically pseudo-cereals. They're grasses or something. And that doesn't matter. Um, and, yeah, I know that eating that way will be far better for my health and for, you know, my husband's health, which matters a lot to me, and our son's health and his palate, which also, you know, is crucially important. And uh, let's see, the ways that I'm going to accomplish that um, are, number one, uh, meal prepping ahead of time. So, like, for breakfast, um, typically I'll have a smoothie, and I can, I can make that uh, the night before, and then it's easy to grab in the morning. Um, and then I like to prep a few lunches at a time and get them all, you know, in the Tupperware, like you see the bodybuilders do. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that way they're they're easy to heat up. Um, and then for dinner, I've got I, I just figured out had a genius moment um, that if I cook enough one night to eat for the next night, I really only have to cook a few times a week. So nice. I guess uh, I guess meal prep and batch cooking is what I'm going with. And Very cool. That's first resolution. Yeah. <laughs> um, you want to hear the second one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The second one is the most exciting one, okay? So The most exciting. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's thrilling. I'm in anticipation. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) My second resolution is to be in bed with my phone off and trying to go to sleep by 10 o'clock every night. Oh, my God. That sounds amazing. (laughs) Tell me more. Okay. So sleep is extremely (laughs) important for our health, as, you know, we're figuring out. And uh, it has a lot to do with uh, having a healthy weight, actually. Um, so that's, uh, I'm trying to make it a priority, and that's kind of all there is to that one. That's great. Yeah, I would love to be in bed by 10 o'clock each night. It just does not happen. Yeah. It sounds like a great goal. I don't think it's one that's achievable for me at this point. Um, yeah. It's definitely something that I'd like to have on my back burner for the future. Right. 
Yeah, it's been good. I've yeah. done it for a few nights now, and it's been really nice because it is achievable for me, you know. Uh, so what do you think was really that was start? keeping you from achieving that before? Um, I was staying up and reading a lot. Mm. Gosh, Jenny, you and your books. I know. Always got to be reading. My, no, 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 not my books, my e-books. Oh, I'm you know, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> No, I'd be, I would get, you know, I'd be reading a book or um, I would be on the internet and researching something really interesting and just go, you know, down the rabbit hole. I know you're mm-hmm. yeah. and So, so it's not like you were being wasteful with your time, um, mm-hmm. but at, in the same token, you weren't, you know, in the schedule that's going to fit best mm-hmm. for your health and well-being. Um, you know, there's times during the day that you can read and research and do the things that you enjoy, um, but mm-hmm. to set that boundary of bedtime at 10 o'clock is going to make the next day that much easier, um, you know, especially to allocate that time for yourself as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, cool. um, yeah, that's, uh, those are mine. How about yours? Um, so my, my very first resolution um, you are aware of and you're also a part of um, because I like to include other people in all my crazy ideas and make them suffer along with me. <laughs> but my, <laughs> my first resolution for 2017 was to um, move more, just to get outside more. And so my metric was to walk at least 10,000 steps a day. Um, so we started that together before um, the holidays. And we've done really good in terms of getting up and meeting almost every morning. There's been a couple mornings where we've had things to do, uh, you know, work, life happens at times. Um, But I have been hitting my 10,000-step mark pretty consistently during the weekdays, not as consistently on the weekends, um, but definitely consistently during the week. Um, And... You know, in setting that goal, I was thinking about how do I relate this to my identity, you know, taking that rebel tendency and trying to figure out how to use it in a way that's helpful. And a lot of the walking that I've been doing has been hiking, um, and I really enjoy hiking. I consider being outside, enjoying the fresh air to be a big part of my identity and who I am. Um, So that fit pretty nicely in there. Yes. Oh, I forgot to, I forgot to do that. <laughs> well, I think yours are, yours are pretty easy. I mean, you know, you are a cook, you're a chef. Mm-hmm. Um, so making cooking a part of your resolution um, is pretty natural for you. Yeah. <laughs> In case our, our listeners, all two of them didn't know that Jenny is like a world-class chef. She's an amazing chef. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a good cook. I went to culinary school. I did not graduate though, so I can't call myself a chef. Culinary school dropout. Oh my god. That was Mike's fault too, by the way. That's patriarchy. patriarchy. Me again. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. Anyway, go on to your second goal because I don't think I know this one. You do know this one. My second goal is to read at least a book a month. Oh yeah, I did um, know that one. Yes, so I'm notoriously bad about starting books and never finishing them. I have about, I would say, between 15 and 20 books maybe at this point that I've started and not finished. It's becoming a big problem. 
So my goal is to, and I keep buying more books, right? Because every time I go to the store, I'm a book book person. I don't like the electronic books. Um, So every time I go to the bookstore, I end up picking up at least two or three new books. And I have all these books on my bookshelf that I've either not read or I've read part of. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm naturally curious. I multiple times a day go down a rabbit hole of information. Um, So I think putting some focus into that research and just focusing on finishing one book a month uh, is a, a good and achievable goal for me um, and mm-hmm. will really help me in the long run in terms of taking some time out of my day to actually sit down and focus on something for more than five minutes. That's a good one. And how do you fit this in with your identity? Um, just the fact that, like I said, I have just that, that natural curiosity, mm-hmm. um, that tendency to always ask why. And many of the books that I have that I've not finished has been on, on things that I'm interested in, like finance, economics, politics. And so having a deeper understanding of those issues by focusing on one issue at a time and reading one book at a time will help me <laughs> have a deeper <laughs> knowledge um, overall versus just starting 15 books and never finishing them. Right. It helps you see yourself as more informed um, Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah, and then I can come on the show and actually talk about stuff in an intelligent manner. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll Yay. try anyway. Uh, Yay. We'll try. <laughs> yeah. No, I think you'll be great. Um, so that's a, that's a really fun resolution, you know. Reading is awesome. Yeah. Reading is awesome. <clears throat> Reading is So good. did you have any more? Um, my third one, and I've, I've definitely not – um, even gotten close to starting on this thing because I'm pretty sure I've broken this resolution every day since January 1st and face the 5th um, is to eat less dessert. I love sugar and I love sweets and I love to eat and I've pretty much had dessert every day since the new year. So I want <laughs> I want to cut that down to um, to one a week and not be eating sweets every single day. Um, sugar is something that I'm definitely addicted to and I crave. And so um, I don't want to be uh, a slave to sugar. I'm already a slave mm-hmm. to coffee. I'm okay with that. I, I've made my peace with that. But I don't want to be a slave to sugar as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> hey, that's, you know, that's kind of a useful way to think of it. You could be free from sugar. Yes. Yeah, that would be amazing. The freedom. Yeah. yeah, and when you and I have done the Whole30 before and I've put out sugar completely, um, mm-hmm. the effects of that are just amazing and, and very positive. So yeah. there's definitely an incentive there to do that. All right. That's a really good goal, too. When are you going to start? <gasps> That's a good question. <laughs> I didn't have dessert today. I will start today. Today is my starting day. All right. Yay. Yeah. Cool. Let me know how it turns out. Yeah. Yeah. So we will, um, you know, as part of the the show, as this progresses, we'll talk about our resolutions, you know, what we've succeeded in, what we failed in. Um, I know that, you know, none of these resolutions are going to be perfect, right? Because Mm -hmm. like I said, life happens. 
things happen. Sometimes you have to alter um, your plans, and that's okay. Um, but as long as we, we keep those goals in the forefront of our minds and we remember why we set them, I think that we'll be able to accomplish them and, and see really good um, benefits in our life because of that. Yeah, I agree. Um, these are these are good ones. Um, they're not vague. I don't think we have specific things that we want to do. Um, we're going to be able to do them this year. I think it's going to be a good year for us. I agree. 2017, it's going to be the, the year to conquer. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So shall we conquer Trump next? <laughs> Can we conquer Trump? That was that was my segue. Was that cool? <laughs> that was great. I liked it. Good job. Yeah, I'm already nailing this podcasting stuff. <laughs> you are just you're just the best in every way. Oh my gosh, <clears throat> I know. Okay. Anyways. So Trump. Um so you know, I don't think there were many libertarians out there. I know there was a few, right? I know there was a libertarians for Trump movement. Um, but overall, I think that libertarians in general definitely saw Trump as not a candidate that would put us in a, the direction of liberty, right? Uh, he's pretty right. authoritarian. Uh, he's very much a protectionist. He's very much a nationalist. Um, but I think in general, a big portion of the liberty movement got pretty giddy when he actually did get elected, right? And I think yes. part of the reason that we got so giddy is because he is very anti-establishment. He is very anti-media. Um, he is very anti-political correctness. Um, and the progressives just are scared of him. So, you know, I think Donald Trump, in his heart of hearts, really does love America. I think he really does want to make America great again. I think that he would do whatever it takes to make America great again. Um, but my problem with Trump is how does he accomplish making America uh, great again? Um, what are your initial thoughts on Donald Trump and what he's done to this point um, as president-elect? Um, well, <clears throat> my initial thoughts, on Donald Trump is that I'm so glad it's not Hillary. Yeah. So glad, right? But, you know, I, I share the same concerns that a lot of people in the liberty movement have. Like you said, he seems to be an authoritarian. Um, he seems to be not very good on free trade. Um, and I'm not so enthusiastic about... Um, a couple of issues that seem to really, uh, a lot of Republicans seem to have really latched onto, uh, like keeping companies in the United States. Um, I, I don't really care about that. Um, Is that because you that, hate America? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> so <laughs> why is that? Why does it? Why does it make sense economically to not necessarily keep companies in the United States? Well, economically speaking, um, we have a whole lot of regulations and our workforce is expensive to, compared to a lot of different, you know, other places. Um, mm -hmm. If we make products in places that are cheaper to make them, we get the products back a lot cheaper 
you know, for us to buy. So that's the economic thing. But my main concern um, with with that being an issue is that I um, believe very strongly in individual rights. Uh, that is the probably the main driving force um, of objectivism that really, really influences me. And so I think that if the owner of a company wants to do business in another country, I think they have every right to. I think that they should be able to hire whomever they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of trumps everything else. Um, you mentioned that he's a nationalist. And that kind of comes into play here. So a nationalist is someone who believes that the state is supreme. Um, right. The, it, the individual can be sacrificed to the state. Mm-hmm. Right. determined to be for the good of the state. For the good of the state. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm completely against that. Um, and so that's a, that's kind of a short overview of the things that concern me. Um, now, I am happy. I'm happy to see everybody <laughs> freaking out. It makes me It's giggle. kind of fun. It's kind of fun <laughs> to see, um, especially because there was that, that sense of that arrogance, you know, that kind of cockiness um, when he was running that there's no way he could win. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Hillary is, is the candidate. It's her turn. Um, you know, she's waited for this. She deserves this. And yeah. I think a lot of Americans were like, how? What did she do to deserve this? What has she done other than being the wife of Bill Clinton? Um, mm-hmm. Her legacy is so shrouded in scandal that yeah. no one trusts her. And so how do you trust her to be in the most powerful position, arguably in the entire world, let alone the, the country that we live in? Mm-hmm. Now, the, you know, on the flip side of that, um, I was telling you, I read a really interesting article today um, from Ron Paul, of all people. And when I first saw the headline, I thought, oh, my gosh, Ron Paul is turning into Alex Jones because Ron Paul (laughs) was putting out there that Trump was elected because the elites in Washington wanted him elected, which is exactly the opposite of what we've been talking about, right? We've been talking so much about how the elites in Washington are just scared of Trump. Um, But he, he, the author of this article, Brandon Smith, he laid out some interesting uh, reasons as to why uh, Donald Trump was elected. Um, You know, I always thought that the Donald Trump movement had a lot to do with um, this lower income, uh, mostly white Americans that have been disenfranchised. Mm -hmm. And these are the people in America that are just, you know, constantly losing their jobs, um, either because their jobs are being moved overseas or, um, you know, because they, you know, maybe those, those jobs are going to, um, you know, illegal immigrants. Um, and these are the people, too, that have very traditional conservative values, and they just keep being called racist and sexist and rapist and everything else by progressives. Um, and so there's this, this huge portion of America that is disenfranchised and very angry about it, very emotional about it. I read a really great article today from The Atlantic. Um, and actually, I got to listen to the article, not read it, because The Atlantic had this really cool app that let you listen to the article, which was 
like mind blowing to me and really exciting. Um, <laughs> but the <laughs> no, article is called, yeah, the article is called The Original Underclass. Um, and I really recommend for people to listen to that article because I think it's really good. I'm not going to go into it in great detail, but what we'll do is we'll have um, some show notes for the podcast today, and we'll link to all these articles that we're talking about. Um, so the Alex Epstein article, Gretchen Rubin for goal setting, and then the Atlantic um, article, and we'll touch on some more as we go through the Trump stuff. Um, but going back to the Ron Paul article, the author – uh, puts forth that Trump actually won the election <clears throat> because he serves the establishment, and he says that Trump is a fake. Um, so he says that Hillary um, was just obviously a horrible candidate, right? And it was so easy uh, to beat her, and she was so villainized that Trump became the hero to her villain. Mm-hmm. And this, tr- this um, chaos that was created around the 2016 election was just perfectly scripted by the elite. Um, they wanted to put a conservative into power because they wanted a scapegoat for this economic and global collapse that's on the horizon. Um, the author is arguing that Trump is reversing his promises to during the swamp. Um, he's filling his cabinet with the same old Goldman Sachs guys, the same old Wall Street insiders, the same old D.C. elites and bankers. And he argues that the surge we saw in the market after Trump was elected, a quarter of the gains in the Dow were tied to a rise in the Goldman Sachs stock value, which is very interesting. That's something that I definitely want to research more. Mm -hmm. Um, The author also claims that Trump is being advised by globalists like Henry Kissinger in that although the media coverage that he got was largely negative, it was purposely done to help him gain exposure. And he contrasted that to Ron Paul's run where he was basically ignored by the media and his, um, his run for the presidency was pretty quickly defeated because he was largely ignored by the media. Um, So do you think this author has any good points here when it comes to Trump winning? Is he a fake? Was he planted by the elites? You know, I I tend to really um, be pretty quick to dismiss conspiracy theories. And the reason that I usually do is because, let's see, who was it that said it? the guy's name Leonard Peikoff yeah uh, he's an objectivist and um, he spoke once on conspiracy theories and he said you know they don't need them they, they don't need to set out an elaborate conspiracy um, hmm, that's a good because, point yeah and the reason that they don't need to is because those people um, tend to all have the same philosophical um, ideas you know, mm-hmm. um, so like, for example, they don't they don't need to get together in a room and decide that they're going to start uh, chipping away at. Um, oh gosh, let me try to think of something. They don't have to start chipping away at uh, at capitalism. You know, they don't have to sit in there and make a detailed plan or anything because they already are against it, right? 
So Mm -hmm. their natural bent is going to involve, like, steps towards socialism and the way from capitalism without having to get together and discuss it. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's possible, but uh, I don't think so. What do you think? Yeah, I know. This is the first I've heard um, anyone, you know, put out that Trump has been put into power by the elite. Um, you know, all that we really hear is that he's feared by the elites. Um, you kind of get that feeling from his general attitude um, when it comes to how we do certain things traditionally in this country. Um, Trump kind of has the attitude of, okay, this is how you've done it. I'm not going to do it this way. Um, and I think that really scares those that are in powerful positions in Washington who have worked their entire careers to make sure that things are done the way that they're supposed to be done uh, to accomplish right. certain goals um, that the establishment has. So I have to say that I agree with you. Um, I think that this is a little bit conspiracy theorist-ish, um, and I'm surprised it's coming out of Ron Paul, the Liberty Report that he does. But um, I do think that he has a good point here with the Goldman Sachs stuff, because as I was researching some of the people that Trump is putting into his cabinet, it does seem that he is picking some Goldman Sachs guys, um, some Wall Street insiders, some bankers, and you kind of want to, you know, you kind of start wondering what's really going on behind the scenes. Um, So, Jen, you and I have analyzed his cabinet picks, and we've tried to analyze it from the position of, is Donald Trump really draining the swamp? Um, And we've categorized his picks into uh, three main categories. We have the good, the bad, and the ugly. So let's start with the good. Who did you find um, that he's picked that really has the potential to make some positive changes in Washington that might be putting us on a path, I don't want to say towards liberty, because I think that's a little bit far-fetched for a Trump presidency, but maybe Mm. on the path, you know, inching towards the path to liberty. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, So do you want me to list the good, or do you want me to go, like, one at a time? Yeah, who are the ones and the names, first of all, that you found that you think you're really excited about? Okay, so these are the good ones. Um, I have General Mattis, um, mm-hmm. Betsy DeVos, or DeVos, I'm not sure how to pronounce her name because I've never heard it spoken. Okay, and um, she's the, um, the Education Secretary. Right, Secretary of okay. Education. Um, Mattis is going to be the Secretary of Defense if okay. he gets confirmed. Um, Tom Price, and he is going to be the head of the Health and Human Services. Mm, okay. Um, Andrew Puzder, he's going to be the head of the Department of Labor. Um, Scott Pruitt, the head of the Environmental Protection Agency. And mm, the Climate Change Denier. I know. <laughs> Mick Mulvaney, um, the Office of Management and Budget. Okay. Who did you have that was good? And I um, am really excited. I know that he's gotten a pretty bad rep, um, but Rex Tillerson, 
seems to be a really good pick for Secretary of State. Um, his mm-hmm. resume just seems really solid. Um, the other one that I was okay with was Ben Carson, even though I think he got put into kind of a throwaway position uh, with the Department of Housing and Urban Development. I think that's a pointless agency that needs to go away anyways. Um, but he seems to feel the same way. And so I like him for that, that position simply because he feels that it's a pointless agency that he's in charge of. So maybe he'll uh, reduce the size of it some. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you find most, um, I guess, most positive about Mattis? We'll start with him. Okay, so, <clears throat> so General Mattis. What I found most positive about him is that he recognizes that if you're in a war, you need to have a very clearly defined political objective. And if you don't, if, you, um, if your objective keeps changing, you know, or you never have a clear objective to begin with, then the conflict is going to drag on and on. And mm-hmm. if the conflict just drags on and on, um, the American people will lose appreciation for what they're fighting for because it's not clear what they're fighting for. So, and that seems um, to be apparent in our, our current situation in the Middle East. Yes. Yes, it is. And he has um, criticized wars in Iraq and Afghanistan because they were not clearly defined. You, you mentioned Iraq and Afghanistan, him being against Iraq and Afghanistan, and um, those wars have gone on forever and ever. We no longer know why we're there, which is exactly what he says happens when you don't set those, those clear um, objective. Exactly. And I don't know if he's exactly against the wars um, themselves, but he's definitely against the fact that we do not have um, a clear objective, a clearly defined enemy that we um, are attacking ruthlessly, you know? Yes. Um, and this is a topic that we definitely have to go into greater detail on in a future mm-hmm. episode because we are fighting for and against our supposed enemy over there. Um, so it's really, really muddled at this point to what side we're actually on. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so so does, he, does he seem to want to get out of the Middle East altogether or just set more clear objectives for what we're doing over there? Um, I did not see much on what he thinks we should do right now. Um, mm-hmm. The impression that I get would be that he wants to um, work closely with Jordan and uh, the United Arab Emirates. Um, he's, he's a strong ally of them um, because they believe that a state should not be guided by Islam. Um, it should be guided, you know, by men. Um, <clears throat> do you know what I mean? It, he, he doesn't like political Islam. Um, Got it. Right. Um, so he would want to work closely with them. And I think that what he would like to do is um, probably annihilate ISIL, ISIS. <laughs> um, he mentioned that in the interview that we both watched. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, he said and we'll link to we, that interview as well. That's a very good interview that he did. It is a good interview. So I think that what he would like to do is define our enemies and go take care of them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, he says that they that we don't kill prisoners, so that would not apply to people who surrender. Um, but yeah, I think that's what he would like to do. Um, okay. Get it get it done with. Um, oh, and one other thing that I like, he he's clearly very comfortable with um, speaking the truth about evil, and he seems to enjoy. Um, fighting evil. He mentions a lot of the assaults against women and killings of innocents um, that goes on a lot over there um, mm-hmm. by different terror groups. And it's it's very evident that he he likes to, to fight against that. Mm, so, okay. Yeah. And so, um, I read that his nickname is the Warrior Monk. Why is he yes. the Warrior Monk? Okay, so cool. <laughs> it is cool. So he's um, he's a really an intellectual. Um, he was kind of famous because he always has with him um, Marcus Aurelius's uh, meditations. Mm-hmm. He's also he's also a, a really big student of history, particularly war history. Mm-hmm. So what did they say? I think he had over seven thousand books in his personal library, something like that. Wow. Yes, and then um, so he really, really understands war, and he he insists that um, it's not really that much different than it always has been. He, he says technology throws in a few kinks, but by and large, war is war. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and then the monk part apparently comes in because he is a lifelong bachelor. Oh. Ladies. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, um, he's very highly respected by the military. I think he's uh, a good person to be Secretary of Defense. Secretary of Defense, here's something interesting. It is considered part of the chain of command, and it's second only to the president. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, I would agree with your analysis of Mattis. I think that he was a great choice for Secretary of Defense. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm very happy about that pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. So um, yeah. did you want to talk about Tillerson, or do you want me to continue going? Um, yeah, I'll touch on Tillerson a little bit. I know I had far less um, goods than you did. Yeah. <laughs> um, I liked Tillerson because I like the fact that he has some really good positions on some really important issues. Um, one of the, the biggest ones that I was really excited about, especially as the uh, Secretary of State, um, and the Secretary of State is the person who is responsible for executing the non-military and non-homeland security aspects of foreign policy. Um, so he is against sanctions, which I really um, am for that position. I don't think that sanctions accomplish anything. Um, you know, I think that there should be free trade. And I know that's a controversial opinion to hold, especially when we're trading with, com- with countries that, um, you know, maybe are um, participating in human rights violations. Um, but the best way to show a country or a country's people, which really the people are the people that have the power, right? The government doesn't really have the power. Um, The people have the power to make change in their country. And when you show the people in a country that is being run by a corrupt government, 
um, or maybe a socialist or communist government, what capitalism can do for their country, those people are much more willing and able to fight back against their government. Um, so I'm very much anti-sanction. He's also a non-protectionist, uh, which is very opposite of Trump. I found that very interesting. Uh, he's very much for free trade. Um, he is uh, very anti-regulation. Um, and he's also a member of the, the think tank, the Center for Strategic and International Studies. So he also seems like very, uh, very well-versed uh, person to put in the position that he's been put in. The only thing really that I could find about Rex Tillerson um, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way is that he has been a Washington insider for a, a long time. Um, he and uh, Vladimir Putin are pretty close. They're buddies. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's contributed to a lot of political campaigns. He's also for Common Core, but I don't think that really matters considering what the position that he's in. Yeah. It's not very yeah. relevant to his, his position. Yeah, he's an interesting dude. Um. So I think um, the other good that I was really interested in hearing about that you came up with was the uh, Secretary of Education. Mm-hmm. and um, also um, Scott Pruitt. Um, and Scott Pruitt, I'm sure, is going to be a whole other topic that we can get on. But just give me a rundown on those two. I think the other two, um, those agencies are, again, kind of throwaway agencies. Um, it sounds like the good maybe is because they're for reducing the size of those agencies. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So we have uh, Tom Price, um, who's the head of the Department of Health and Human Services. That mm-hmm. guy is good, um, but it's mostly symbolic. And he's very mm-hmm. much against Obamacare, and he has uh, he's drafted the Empowering Patients First Act, and he keeps putting it before Congress. I think he started in, I believe it said 2011. Um, but he can't actually do anything about it, so that's largely mm-hmm. symbolic. Right. And then Andrew Andrew Puzder, um, the Department of Labor, which in my opinion should not even exist. Um, mm-hmm. And he's he's the CEO of the CKE Restaurant Group, which is Hardee's and Carl's Jr. Um, he's a critic of business regulation, minimum wage, Obamacare, all those things that put a lot of undue burdens on business. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's a good guy too, but there's not a whole lot to say about that. Those are those two. Okay. All right. So Betsy DeVos or DeVos. <clears throat> so I I like her. Um, and this is here's a little bit of background on her. Um, she was chosen to be the Secretary of Education. Uh, the Department of Education um, develops policy for education. They coordinate federal assistance to education. Um, and they enforce uh, the regulations regarding, uh, let's see, privacy and civil rights about um, relating to education. So the department's mission, um, quote, to promote student achievement and preparation for global competitiveness by fostering educational excellence and ensuring equal access, close quote. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, a lot of people are really upset about her appointment, but I think she fits that mission perfectly. Because Why are they upset about it? They're upset about it because that 
I think in a lot of people's minds, um, the way to accomplish that is to have a huge top-down um, public school system. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is for uh, school vouchers, um, public school reform, uh, tax credits to businesses that provide scholarships to private schools. Uh, she's pro-school mm. choice. She's pro-charter schools. So she's she's very much um, in favor of, and I think somebody actually criticized her for this, uh, reforming schools by seeing it as a marketplace. And Interesting. From, has, she, yeah. um, has she said anything about privatizing education? I don't think she said anything about, like, just doing a sweeping, you know, everything's private now, figure it out. Mm-hmm. But taking uh, a step in the direction of more choice. Right. So and more she, choice is always a great thing in any market because it's going to create competition. Yes, and you and I agree that education is a market, very much a market, and it will mm-hmm. benefit from being treated as a market. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm excited about her. Um, I think she does constitute draining the swamp. Um, She sees improvement of education um, as being achieved by more parental choice and more privatization. So she has been um, a member of the board, or she is a member of the board of Foundation for Excellence in Education. Um, she has been the chairwoman of the board for the Alliance for School Choice. Um, she heads the political action committee, um, All Children Matter, and she and her husband uh, have founded an annual scholarship. Um, so this is clearly a really uh, a very personal passion that she's been deeply involved in. Oh, she also helped develop a charter system um, for Detroit. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, and so there's – I don't have a lot of information on that because the information that I found was highly conflicting. It was either saying that they have failed to close a lot of schools that were underperforming or saying that that is straight up a lie and the charter schools are leading the Detroit public schools by a lot, which I tend to believe Mm -hmm. that, but I didn't get deep enough to really offer – um, what I think is the truth on that. Yeah, and I've spent some time in Detroit, and the um, the consensus that I've gotten from the people that I know there and that I've talked to there is that the public school system there is really broken. And most educators don't want to teach in the public schools, mm-hmm. and the um, positions that the educators you know, that, of course, are graduating from school and are motivated and really want to help kids are going for are with the charter schools um, and that those are better learning institutions overall compared to the public school system. Yes. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. And, uh, of course, one of the perspectives that I really like her from is that she's pro-school choice, Mm -hmm. and I absolutely believe that that has to do with the rights of the individual, the rights of the parent to decide how they want to educate their children. Absolutely. Yeah, it seems that when they can do that, when they can educate their children in alignment with their beliefs and their preferences, the results tend to be much better. Yes, I would definitely agree with that. Yes, so we are running up on an hour. Um, Do we want to finish up today by talking about the ugly? 
<laughs> sure. Yeah, you've got all the uglies. Oh, I do have all the uglies. All right. Well, before yeah. I go into the uglies, um, so yeah, she seems like a great choice for Secretary of Education. I'm very excited about her. Um, I 100% agree with school choice. Um, I want to talk just a little bit about Scott Pruitt. I know that he's been very controversial as well, and mm-hmm. you're seeing him as a, a good pick for um, Department of Energy. No, where is he? Department of Energy? That's Rick Perry. No. Where is he? No, that's Rick Perry. Yeah, he is the um, Environmental Protection Agency. Got the EPA. That's right. The climate change denier in charge of the EPA. I mean, he's been in a lawsuit with the EPA, hasn't he? Yes, he has sued the EPA to block the Clean Power Plan and uh, Waters of U.S. rule. So the Clean Power Plan um, is Obama's climate change agenda. Scott Pruitt um, says that, and I think it's to reduce um, commercial emissions by 2030 by a lot. Mm-hmm. So Scott Pruitt um, says that the Clean Power Plan will raise the cost of electricity and that will hurt the most poor um, of us. And I completely agree with that. Um, mm. Cheap energy is vital to our country. It's vital to the way we live our lives. Um, it is absolutely crucial for quality of life um, to have cheap, reliable energy. And that, if anyone wants to get more into that, um, Alex Epstein runs the Center for Industrial Progress. Um, if you look that up online, he has so much information about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you know, I'm a big fan. So, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but he seems so, like an odd choice for the EPA, given his position on those issues. Why do you think Trump picked him for the EPA? I can't speak for Trump's motivation on that. <laughs> Maybe he just wants to pick people off. <laughs> and that well, would probably I, be a reasonable reason for Trump in his own mind to do that, right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so. Um, but, you know, I also think, you know, tr- I don't think Trump is stupid by any means. Mm-hmm. I think that he probably knows that the environmental um, – agendas that are kind of guiding uh, policy and regulation right now are very harmful. And, you know, it's kind of like the minimum wage. It hurts the the poorest people the most. Mm-hmm. And they start falling down. There's going to be just huge, huge gaps in quality of life um, in the country. There's going to be people that are homeless because they can't pay utility bills. You know, apparently that already happens. I, I was surprised. Yeah, yeah, um, that's a very good point. Yeah, there is uh, there is a huge issue um, with poverty in our country that we don't hear a lot about. Mhm, mhm. And you know, we don't. You and I don't necessarily see a whole lot of it because we live in, in Central Texas. Mhm. You know, it's not. We have a lot of jobs here. <laughs> you know, we have a on. lot of jobs here. We have an economy that's booming. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know, and a lot of these areas that are really stricken by these poverty, uh, these really um, desperate levels of poverty, are the areas of the country um, where they just they don't participate in the public process. So no one's speaking right. to them. Um, mm-hmm. Appalachia is a great example of that, where they don't vote and no one speaks to them. 
and no mm-hmm. one pays attention to them. They're like the ugly, redheaded stepchild of our country that no one wants to acknowledge is even there. Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking about, actually. We don't hear a whole lot about You hear a whole lot about um, urban problems. Mm-hmm. You don't hear a whole lot about the problems in Ash- Appalachia. And, you know, right. to, to be honest, I, I don't know a whole lot about them. Um, right, I no, I, I wouldn't either. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so yeah, Scott Pruitt, um, I think he's a great choice. I think this is going to be really interesting. Um, and I think that Trump probably picked him because he knows that, uh, that that's going to become a big problem if some, if mm. it's not dealt with. Very interesting. Yeah. And that's definitely a topic that we're going to have to go into greater detail, um, on a, another episode. Cause I know that you are, um, very much into energy and energy policy in our country. Um, You're into environmental stuff, climate change stuff. Yeah, I don't like to talk about it, but yeah. (laughs) But you are. It's uh, it's an interest of yours. You can't fool me. I know you. (laughs) I know. I'm going to get thrown off a cliff for my, my, my opinions, though. Uh, well, um, listen, you already are. You know how many times you've said patriarchy <laughs> in a in true. a non-serious way. <laughs> I know. I'm already thrown off the cliff. I'm sure mm-hmm. all two of our listeners have stopped listening at this point. But <laughs> um, all right, so we are running up on our hour. Um, so we had, you know, a bulk of people that we were just kind of all right with. We're not too sure how we feel about them. Um, mm-hmm. Some of them are, are bad. Most of them, I think, that I came across are just your typical who you would expect to be put in those positions based on their history. Um, most of them are, are Washington insiders. Um, most of them are Goldman Sachs people. Most of them are former bankers. Um, so those are the typical people that get put into those type of positions. But I did find two that were all out ugly to me. And um, the first one is the Attorney General, Jeff Sessions. Um, I think that he's a swamp person for sure. He is reeking of the swamp. Um, He is for civil forfeiture. Um, That is basically when the government comes and takes your things for no reason and doesn't give them back to you because they think that you've done something wrong and then they never prove it. And it's like, oh, well, too bad, so sad. Um, he does not seem like he is good for civil rights, and he also was pro-Iraq war. The two things that I did find out about him that I did kind of like is that he is, he seems like he's pretty good on criminal justice reform, and he also was against the bank bailout in 2008. I liked those two things about him, but his resume in general just is not good. Not good at all. He's he's definitely a, a Bushian, Bush guy. Um, and a lot of those Bush guys just seem like they are, are very much for, um, gosh, just increasing the size and scope of government um, and really creating criminals out of people that are not criminals. You know, the whole guilty until proven innocent uh, idea. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is, is really scary. Yes. That is scary. Um, so... What did you see about him regarding immigration? I have heard that he is against even legal immigration. Can you talk about that a little bit? 
Yes. So he is very notorious for his opposition to illegal immigration, which that's fine, right? Um, I totally agree that if there are laws in place that determine how people legally enter the country, that those laws should be upheld. Um, but the scary thing is, is that he is also an advocate for reducing legal immigration. Um, so I didn't get too deep into what he, um, what he has done in terms of limiting that, um, but definitely something that I would like to go into greater detail about and in talk in greater detail about in a, in a future episode. Legal immigration, the idea that people want to come to our country and live here and work here and contribute to our economy, mm -hmm. I don't think is ever something that should be seen as a bad thing. Um, the no. more minds, the more innovation, um, the more ideas that we can have in our country, um, the better it makes us, right, because now we have to compete with these people, mm -hmm. and the better it makes our country because we become more innovative, we become uh, smarter, right, we become yes. more advanced. Yes. Um, and, and also, usually, they bring really good food with them. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, not only that, but we were talking about Silicon Valley this morning, weren't we? Yes, we were. Yeah, um, Silicon yes. Valley specifically uh, talking about how affirmative action is really trying to shape how technology companies are hiring and firing people there. Right. Yes, and um, here it's the... So talking about the contributions that immigrants can make, I mean, mm -hmm. a lot of them are working in Silicon Valley. Like, all all of our cool technology comes from Silicon Valley. It makes all of our lives better. Um, yes, yes. And yes. what they were saying is that disproportionately Asians um, specifically are a huge mm -hmm. part of Silicon Valley and a huge part of the technology that's being developed there. So, yeah, Jeff Sessions, um, I feel he's a swamp person. The other one that really scared me, and this scares me from um, the perspective of, of my background being in finance, uh, is Steve Mnuchin. And um, he is the Secretary of Treasury. And the Secretary of Treasury, um, they are involved in, in quite a, a, a good deal of things when it comes to managing government revenue. Um, they are for printing and minting all paper currency and coins, and they also collect federal taxes through the IRS, and they manage the U.S. government debt instrument. So this is a very important position when it comes to how our country is run. Um, when I was researching his background, um, he is 100% a Wall Street insider, he got his start with Goldman Sachs. Um, and after he left Goldman Sachs, he created a company, a hedge fund, called Dune Capital Management um, that was in part funded by money from George Soros. Uh, he got hundreds of millions of dollars from Soros. And the interesting thing that I found with that George Soros connection in the Dune Capital Management is that some of those dollars were used to invest in Trump projects. So we talk about conspiracy theories, right, that does raise some conspiracy theory red flags. And you wonder how that's all connected because George Soros is so 
you know, verbally aggressive uh, in the media against Donald Trump. And it's been shown that his companies have funded some of these protests, these very violent protests that are happening around the country. So, you know, how do you go from someone who is, is basically partnering with George Soros, um, investing uh, in these different projects, investing in Trump's projects, to now being on Trump's team, being Secretary of Treasury, um, it just, it seems very odd to me. I mean, it's scary to me. He's also, um, Mnuchin is also a Hollywood person. He's a Hollywood elite. He's been involved in quite a few uh, productions in Hollywood, uh, pretty major movies. He was actually a part of the movie The Aviator, which is one of the highest grossing films, I think, of all time. Okay. Okay. So, um, yeah, you were talking about The Aviator. Um, was Leonardo DiCaprio in that? Was he? I don't know. But anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah, wow. Mm-hmm. Leonardo DiCaprio, and it's it's about Howard Hughes, who's a very interesting figure. Um. Anyway, so he was involved with that. He's a Hollywood insider. That's interesting. So what he is, is he doing? Is yeah. He, is he producing these movies, or yeah, what is he doing? Yeah, he's very much involved in the funding of these movies. Um. Mm-hmm. So he has. Um. He's involved in in several. Um projects um and he does provide a lot of funding to hollywood to make these movies interesting i I would Mm -hmm. be curious to see a list um of the movies that he's been involved in because uh yeah yeah that'd be interesting so yeah you're concerned about him and i would say justly so that seems like an interesting little chain there yeah you know when i was researching him i saw the goldman sachs stuff um, I started rolling my eyes at that, um, especially after having read the Ron Parr article about Trump's winning the election, of course, and the Goldman Sachs stock, you know, directly benefiting from that. This guy owns, I think, $100 million worth of Goldman Sachs stock still, so he obviously wow. made out very well <laughs> with Trump winning. Yeah. Um, and then the George Soros connection, of course, raised a red flag on my head as well. Um, the, the only good thing that I could find about Mnuchin that I think tied in with Trump and his, um, you know, personal um, points of view is that he does want to reduce corporate taxes to 15%. Mm-hmm. Um, so that seems in line with what Trump is wanting to do. Um, but again, I, I just can't get past this George Soros connection at all. Um, I definitely need to do more research into you know, what that means, what this guy's history is, what his background is, mm-hmm. what his past previous ties to Donald Trump are. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot to look into. That's very interesting and it is. kind of weird. My, weird and worrisome. conspiracy theory, red flags are all <laughs> over the place. Oh, I got no. my aluminum foil out. <laughs> yes, you need to make a hat. Remember, shiny side out and in. (laughs) That's right. Okay. So, all right. So those were the ugly ones? Those were the ugly ones. Those were the only two ones that I really was was very concerned about. Okay. Um, So overall, I think that we're, you know, leaning optimistically towards his cabinet picks. What do you think? 
Mm. Yeah, I would say so. Um, I had, let's see, I think Mick Mulvaney is going to be good for the management and budget. Um, and then I had as mixed uh, Rick Perry and Ryan Zink. Mm-hmm. Um, Rick Perry. Yeah, Rick Perry, the Department of Energy, and then Ryan Zink, the Department of the Interior. Um, mm. The Department of the not... Interior always makes me think of interior design. I'm like, these are the guys that are picking up the furniture, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, totally. No. Uh, so they, um, they handle management of federal land and natural resources. Oh. Interior, and like they the also, interior of the country. Interior of the country, which uh, I learned that in other countries, the Ministry of Interior typically relates to, like, police matters, things oh, like that. Oh, okay. Which ma- makes sense to me. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so they're doing management of federal land. Um, they're also handling the programs um, relating to Native Americans. Um Let's see. Uh, so there's, that department is important because they um, they manage 75% of federal public land. The rest is managed by mm. the Department of Agriculture. Oh, okay. And, yes, and also the energy product projects of federal lands and offshore um, areas provide 28% of our nation's energy production. So that could be an important um, task. And he seems really mixed. Um, Let's see. In 2010, he was very, very strongly um, wanting the government. He asked, uh, so yeah, so in 2010, he wrote, he signed a letter to President Obama and Nancy Pelosi um, urging them to take government action to combat climate change and Mm. to encourage clean energy, right? And so obviously, let's see, this is in 2010 as a Montana state senator. Obviously, I see that as a negative. Right. Okay. Right. Now, once he's in Congress, he's a U.S. representative um, from Montana. Um, He voted against uh, environmentalist... um, on some things uh, typically related to clean energy and stuff. So he kind of changed his position there. Hmm. And then, yeah, he also voted against, or he said he was against, I can't remember which, um, transfers of federal land to the states. Uh, He said that he endorses better management and not transfer, you know, of of the lands to the states. So I saw that as a negative, and then while I was researching, I saw on that on Tuesday, um, the House, including him, had voted to transfer some land to the states. So, hmm. yeah, as you can see, not he's very like all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. So he's mixed. I, I just don't know what he's going to do. Right. Right. And then, you know, Rick Perry, we talked about him. Um, he participated in crony capitalism, mm-hmm. um, and including... Uh, using taxpayer money to fund, um, let's see, this company called Extreme Power. This was interesting. Um, so they got $2 million of taxpayer money in 2007. Um, they were trying to develop large-scale energy storage um, batteries 
they went bankrupt in 2014. And the Department of Energy uh, donated $279,000 to them in 2012. Mm, okay. So, yeah, so he's into that kind of thing. Um, he also... Uh, like to give subsidies to companies to get them to move to Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also cut government budgets, um, and he was opposed to creating state income tax when he was governor of Texas. Yeah. So, And I think we make- all really enjoy there not being an income tax in Texas. So I would yes. say that's a positive for him. <laughs> yes, exactly. So he's kind of all over the place, too. I will say um, – the, the Department of Energy, so it is, uh, one of its primary responsibilities um, is nuclear weapons, uh, their research and development, um, mm-hmm. cleaning up of the sites. Um, they also do subsidies for energy programs and research. Um, and it says that they sponsor research in physical sciences. So he is um, pro-adult stem cell research. So oh, okay. That could be interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just, it's kind of a mixed bag. Like, I think he's a crony capitalist, and I'm, I don't like that. But I right. think that his positions, even though I probably won't agree with the way he does them, um, it may result in some positive outcomes, um, especially regarding, you know, promoting nuclear energy, which I like. <laughs> Yeah, keep reliable yeah, very, energy. Very oh, interesting. I I definitely think the people that got in the mix slash bad bag that we picked mm-hmm. out are definitely mm-hmm. those type of people where it's just like there's no real way to tell what they're gonna do. Exactly. So it's just kind of a wait and see, and it's kind of um it's kind of disturbing because it, it seems like that Trump could have done some better jobs picking. Uh, the leaders for those departments because he did a good job in some pretty crucial areas, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's very difficult to tell where his thinking is and what his thinking is when he's picking uh, people to fill those positions. Um, but yeah. the those spots still have to be confirmed. Um, so mm-hmm. we'll have to see what happens, um, see if there is any pushback from the Congress in terms of actually confirming those people for those positions. Mm-hmm. Well, I think they'll probably get confirmed, don't you? Unless something I think really so. Weird comes out. Yeah. I don't see any glaring red flags for any of these people to not be put into these positions. Um, mm-hmm. I can't see any reason for them not to be confirmed. Um, right. So. Yeah. Anyways, so we are, um, I think, a little bit past our hour. Mm-hmm. Um, any final thoughts? Any last words? Um, are you going to want to cover uh, some more of the people in the next one? Um, there's a few that I didn't quite touch on today that I could go into. Um, I actually ended up with a lot in my mixed slash bad bag yeah. um, that I could definitely go into greater detail in. One topic that I'm really excited about covering is identity politics. I know we've picked out some really interesting cases that are happening right now in the United States and Canada uh, concerning identity politics that we'd like to touch on. So I think um, we can finish up the Trump discussion next time and then dive into a discussion of uh, identity politics. Does that sound good? That sounds great. I like it. 
Awesome, awesome. Well, for our um, our listeners out there, um, this is going to be a bi-monthly show. So our next show is going to be in two weeks. And as we mentioned, we'll be talking about um, just kind of wrapping up this discussion on Trump. There's a lot to talk about here. Um, and we didn't even talk about the advisors that he's chosen, uh, which <laughs> they're kind of a mixed bag as well. Um, there's some good and some, some bad and some really ugly there. Um, so we can definitely go deeper into this topic. But I think that we have um, at this point, you know, done a pretty good analysis of the people that he's picked so far. Um, and with anything Trumpian, um, I think it is just going to be a wait and see. I'm really excited for the people that we've picked for our good category uh, mm-hmm. to get into those departments and hopefully make some good changes. Um, but the rest of them, just not too sure um, if they're going to affect any change and if that change is going to be positive if they do. Um, yep. Wait and see. So, wait and see. We'll see. We'll see. Mm-hmm. All, right. All right. So, thank you to everyone that's listened to our first show. Um, you guys are the real MVPs here, and we will look forward to talking to you in a couple weeks. All right. Great. Yeah. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>